Hello, everyone. How y'all doing? That's a hard act to follow. Have you ever watched kids uh, little singing songs in church? There's always just certain kinds of kids, you know. There's a there's the petrified. You know, <laughs> he doesn't sing or she she just petrified, looking for mama somewhere. There's the dancers, you know, and the twirlers. There's the runners. Had a few of those tonight. There's the enthusiastic loud singers. <laughs> we like those. Um, there's those that just want to do it perfectly. And just They have all their motions perfect. And it's just so fun to have that, isn't it? Don't you enjoy that part of our service? Well, welcome to JFC. Thank you for coming today. We appreciate you taking time out of a busy holiday to be here. I would like to mention one thing related to our pastor, Pastor John. In a few uh, weeks, it's going to be his 50th birthday. Is 50 a big deal or what, huh? So John does not like a lot of fanfare. That's not what he really appreciates, but he appreciates an expression of our love for him. So we thought this year we would do something fun for his 50th. We want you to find a birthday card. Could be funny, serious, spiritual, doesn't matter. It just represents you. Write a little note of encouragement, appreciation in there. Bring them to church, all right? We'll have a basket out there, and we'll collect them. Is it the next two weeks? The next two weeks. And uh, John won't know what's going on. And so on his birthday, we're going to make a presentation of hopefully hundreds and hundreds of cards, and he'll be spending all day just uh, being blessed on his birthday. So that's the way we want to express our love. So how many remember to get a birthday card for Pastor John? All right, go ahead and jump on that, get that. And then again, there'll be a basket at the Connect Grow Serve tables. It'll be a nondescript basket. This will be a surprise for Pastor John. So don't say anything, don't email, don't Facebook, don't do any of that stuff that uh, uh, gets it out there. So we'll just surprise him uh, on his birthday. All right, well, I'd like to welcome uh, all of you. Welcome to our campuses, uh, those at uh, Lakewood, um, Castle Rock and Highlands Ranch. Some of you guys uh, here wonder where I've been. I actually go to each campus on a rotating basis to just be a part of their worship experience, to meet people, to look at uh, some of the processes of establishing groups. It's been a privilege to get to know all of our campuses and their pastors. What a wonderful thing, this campus idea. We have got great campuses, uh, different in their flavor, but it's the essence of JFC. And I will tell you personally, I love going to each and every one. And my, my hat's off to Evan and to DJ and Bob and here, Marcus, you guys doing a great job. So, uh, hey, if you're at a campus, let's just hear for all of our campuses today, okay? <laughs> now, by the way, when we do that, typically Castle Rock and Lakewood are the loudest, aren't they? They're pretty noisy, so we appreciate that. All right, if you'll get your notes out, we're going to try to uh, keep this short because we wanted to give time for the kids to sing. So let me jump in on this. Uh, chapter, Luke chapter 2, verse 10. But the angel said to them, do not be afraid. I bring you good news that will cause great joy for all the people. Now Christmas should be a time of joy, but we often realize it's a time of the blues. A Dutch study found that people suffering from depression age faster than those who are not depressed. They say being depressed can actually take years off your life. Well, that should make depressed people feel a lot better. We've just buried them another year. <laughs> you guys know all the stats, the statistics say that uh, health sciences, all the studies, Christmas is the time of year that highest incidence of depression, suicide, uh, suicide attempts, uh, increase in meetings with counselors, 
uh, is huge during Christmas time. I find it odd that our scripture we read says this should be a time of great joy. So I began to look at some of the reasons why we have this kind of blues or depression at Christmas time. These are the things that I found. Money and debt pressures. Okay, how many of you ever deal with money pressures? How many of you bought a lottery ticket? <laughs> Don't raise your hand. It's okay. All right. A lot of people think, if I just win that lottery, what's it up to now? 450, something like that, whatever, five? I don't know. Anyway, if I could just get that, I'd have no more problems. The answer is not true. You'd have a whole lot more problems. Expectations and disappointments. Every year I come into Christmas with great expectations. What is going to happen? All the wonder. It's like one of those Hallmark movies. That's how my Christmas should be. Uh, how often does that happen? It rarely happens. So we have a lot of disappointments. Relationship issues and family dynamics. All right? Uh, comparison and doubt. Self-doubt. And the last, loss. Huge one. Christmas time. Divorce, death, illness. Things that are representation of loss. It's inflated in its sadness during Christmas time. I want you to think of all the things that we do, though, to try to experience Christmas joy. Let me give you a few tonight. Black Friday shopping. <laughs> a lot of Christmas joy there, right? All right. I think, have you seen the videos from what happens at Black? I mean, you're going to kill somebody for a $2 toaster. I mean, there's something wrong with that picture. People staying up all night in tents and freezing weathers to be the first in line to get a free TV. How about office Christmas parties? Those are full of Christmas joy, right? Maybe the liquid kind, but uh, how many of you hate buying presents for people you don't like? How many couldn't raise your hand because that person sat next to you? <laughs> All right. Having Christmas dinner with the wacky relatives. Now, if you're thinking we don't have any wacky relatives, you are the wacky relatives. Maxing out our credit cards. Ugly, obnoxious Christmas sweaters. Those should be banned from the face of the earth. Humility and embarrassment from looking at Pinterest. Now let me explain that. I used to be content with this little sparkly styrofoam ornament that I would make. Then I go on Pinterest and I see these productions of amazement and I feel like a dumb head. I feel like I am not creative. Anybody ever feel that Pinterest envy? I don't know what you call it. It should be in the dictionary. You look at the foods that they have on Pinterest, <coughs> and you're thinking, uh, man, I can never make that. So what do you bring? The little weenies, right? <laughs> I mean, that's all I got, barbecued hot dogs, you know? Uh, parking. Isn't parking wonderful? I was talking to some people yesterday who went to the mall, and they couldn't find parking. They had to park across the street. Oh, what fun. I can see why we're depressed. Now, our verse, our key verse for this passage is Luke verse 2.10. And for this series we've been talking about, that I've got to say, DJ, Pastor DJ, your message to start this on fear was phenomenal. If you have not heard it, please go online, get that message on fear. It was so good. And uh, I just hope you all have been able to hear that. Last week, Pastor John did a fantastic message talking about the good news. I think uh, pastors get into ruts of 3.3. I have that today, but John's last week, the three points, 
of what good news is is really important and valuable. So if you haven't heard that, grab that. So good job, you guys. And next week, uh, Pastor John concludes this series. So verse 10 tells us about great joy. And I have to ask the question, why is it great joy? <coughs> well, we're told in the next verse, and this is where I want to spend the most of my time today. Luke 2.11. Today in the town of David, a Savior has been born to you. He is the Messiah, the Lord. If you have a pen, would you circle these three words? Savior, Messiah, and Lord. There's where the joy will come in Christmas. You see, the message of Christmas is not the baby. That's the warm fuzzy. That's the start of the story, but it's only a part of the story. You can't go wrong with babies, right? Isn't that what politicians do? They kiss babies. Uh, you have babies. We have a friend at Lakewood who just had a baby uh, and sent all these pictures. He called it his little burrito. <laughs> it was all wrapped up. It's kind of cute, but anyway. Babies win. They work. And so when we look at Christmas, we have this warm fuzzy about Christmas because of the baby. But I want to say today that the joy of Christmas will come in the complete work of Jesus Christ, Savior, Messiah, and Lord. And I might offend some of you today because you're in the warm, fuzzy Christmas mode. And you're, you're like, oh, don't, don't get into all the Jesus stuff. It's all about Jesus. I can't get away from that. <coughs> Excuse me. Now, this passage relates to more than the birth of a baby. I want to just bring you through the stages of Jesus' work in becoming Messiah, Lord, and Savior. The first is Jesus left heaven to be born on earth. Now, I don't know what your picture of heaven is. But the reality is, it's a pretty awesome place. And it's amazing in everything about heaven, in the splendor of God's throne, all that. Jesus took and left that place and was birthed on this earth in a very humble place, all right? And he experienced life being born as a baby. I was trying to think, how can I equate that? Some of you that have been to Haiti might uh, be able to understand this more. If you take somebody from the most amazing, regal, royal place in the world, of all the wealth and beauty and, and status and stature of all, and you take that person, you say, we're going to relocate you. We're going to take you to Port-au-Prince. You're going to live in the dump, the human dump, and you're going to carve a little place out to sleep at night. Raw sewage is going to be flowing. You're going to try to find food from what people leave at the dump, and that's going to be your existence. <coughs> we see this baby being born, the beautiful manger scenes. But understand what Jesus took on when he said, I will come to this earth, I will be born a baby and be placed in a humble little feeding trough and begin my life on earth in that kind of place. The second place of, that I want you to think about is that Jesus lived a life without sin and he suffered life like you and I. He grew up. He experienced our life. He wasn't distant from that. <coughs> Excuse me. He just went through all the things that you go through. Do you think Jesus had a wacky relative at Christmas dinner? By the way, there was no Christmas dinner there. If you're confused theologically, I just want to make that clear. <laughs> but I guarantee you, in Jewish feasts, everybody has that wacky relative that's annoying, drinks a little too much wine. You know what I'm saying. All right? He had to deal with humanity. He, he was raised and dealt with that, but he did that without an attitude of sin. All right? Imagine the work of Jesus in doing that. The third <coughs> is that he had died a death on a cross. Not only did he suffer beating 
and whipping and rejection and all that came with the trial of Jesus. He was hung on a cross and he died a death like you and I will die as far as dying. His death, though, was far more terrible than most of us will experience. So he knows what death is like. The fourth thing is that he was raised to life by the power of God. This, my friends, is the message of Christmas. This is where the great joy comes from. If he just died and it was over, he would have been then seen as a great philosopher, a great teacher, a great miracle worker. But in essence, he would have just died and gone on like all of the other gods that are worshiping religions around this world. But Jesus, by the power of God, was raised from the dead. That's important to us this Christmas. Because if we're going through our Christmas with the blues and sadness and depression of this world all around us, how many know it's a cruddy world we're living in right now? How many knows terrible things happen even in our local community? Heartache and sadness and things that we don't want to have happen at Christmas happen. Those are terrible things. But Jesus, through the power of the resurrection, has life. And he's given us, this is the good news, that power to operate in our lives. Last thing I want you to think. Okay, the Christmas story ends there. No, the scriptures tells us that Jesus went to heaven to be at the right hand of the Father to intercede on our behalf. So every day that you live, Jesus is a representative for you in heaven. His work isn't done. <coughs> so <clears throat> during this Christmas season, I want you to picture the Jesus who came as a baby and left all the splendor of heaven, who lived a life without sin and endured what we endure, who was killed on a cross, who was raised from the dead by the power of God, and today intercedes for us. I can tell you for me, the more I think about that, the greater joy I have. This is the Jesus that we worship at Christmas time. I think of it this way. Christmas is a contract of love presented in a little baby. But Calvary is the contract signed, sealed, and delivered. Jesus is joy. Jesus is joy. If you can't get joy at Christmas, you've got to get it because Jesus is joy. From all of our campuses in here, would you just say that with me? Jesus is joy. Let's say it one more time. Jesus is joy. No matter how bad your Christmas is, you have the good news. Jesus has come in all of his plan for us. As a matter of fact, in that verse, you could substitute the word joy with Jesus. Look at it this way. Fear not. I bring you good news, Jesus. I bring you good news, Jesus. Now, a lot of us, a lot of times we in the church, uh, we have our religious experience, we have our historical experience, we have our traditions, we have all those. And so often we get to where we bury the truth of Jesus with all of our stuff. And we wake up on Christmas morning or the day after Christmas saying, what was that all about? What was that all about? And we've missed it because it's about Jesus. No matter how bad, you have the good news, and that good news is Jesus. Can I tell you something interesting? You know the early church, the first church, didn't have Christmas? Do you have to think about that for a minute? You know what they had? They had Christ. And it was somewhere around 350 years that before they ever celebrated Christmas as a church. So for centuries, Christmas wasn't about a celebration or looking back. It was about what I'm telling you today. It was about Christ. And all of their life, all of their day, all of their daily life was filled with Jesus. There's no joy in our Christmas because we worship the wrong things. 
If you have a great God, you'll have great joy. If you have a little God, you'll have a little joy. For goodness sakes, I will tell you this. It isn't because we don't, for lack of trying to get joy. How many know that you try to get joy at Christmas, right? I mean, how many of you are trying right now in all of your Christmas festivities to have joy? <coughs> Nobody? <coughs> okay, two of you. The rest of you, this message is not for you. I want to I be honest. I work real hard. I'm, I'm, I'm a, Pastor Chris and I, my mom and dad did a great job making our holidays very special. Thanksgivings were amazing. Christmas was, and it wasn't in the extravagance. It was in the festivities and the family and all that. I, I remember the joy of just being a kid at Christmas. And I was telling somebody the other day, it seemed like from November Thanksgiving to December was like months. And now it's like days, correct? And I, I don't understand if it's the anticipation that represents that for a kid, but coming into Christmas, we had good Christmases. Now, I grew up with that understanding, <coughs> but I ran into a lot of people as a pastor that their Christmases were horrible. They were wretched. They were difficult. They were filled with pain. And when they heard me proclaim how good Christmas is, how wonderful it is, there was a disconnect. They couldn't understand that. Because their frame of reference was it was a horrible time. So what do we do with a person who celebrates with great festivity and works hard at that? All right, if you're a parent here today, you're working very hard at making Christmas good for your kids. If you're a grandparent, you've thought through, hey, what do we want to do to bring some joy in a present to our kids? It's just part of what we do. My point is this. All of those things have their place and they're good, but if they are a substitute for Jesus, you're still going to end up without a joyful Christmas. We try hard to have a joyful Christmas. But the joys of this world will never be enough. So if you want complete and long-lasting joy, you come back to Jesus. <coughs> now, a lot of us measure Christmas by the abundance of Christmas, the outward abundance, correct? All right? Uh, the one part of being a dad or a grandparent that, that you don't like is, is when your kids don't like your gift. Anybody ever had that experience? You go out, you think you're best, you know, you think you're in tune with your kid, you go out and you buy what you think they'll really like, and, and, and their, their reaction betrays them, you know? They look at it and their first thing is like, oh crud, what is this? They don't say anything. And then because they're raised in your home and they, they're smart enough, they, they look at you and like, oh yeah, this is really nice, thank you dad, thank you mom. But it's too late. You know. You, we had a Christmas one year where we had tears over that. It's like, I, I got the message. What, what, you don't like this? Well, we, 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 we sort of do. And, and, like, and you know, I'm, I'm going to get to the Tell me the truth. Do you not like this or do you like this? You know? Kind of a Santa spirit there, you know. <laughs> we measure it in abundance. <coughs> it's the motive for an earthly joy. Think about this. We associate more with joy. More parties, more gifts, more decorations, more food. Lord knows how many of you are tired of food. All right, good Christmas food, but man, I'm telling you, it's a lot. And most people end up saying, it didn't do it for me. The abundance isn't in things or excess or self the abundance is in a spiritual realm of Christ, of depth, of maturity. 
So let me show you how that works, okay, today. I'm going to give you three things. I said pastors have always three points, so I'm going to stay with that tonight. Cultivating Jesus' joy. How do we get the joy that Luke is describing in verse uh, 10? I'll give you three things. The first is abide in him. Abide in him. In his presence is fullness of joy, Psalm 1611. <coughs> I'm not a huge fan of the uh, King James just because it's hard to understand, but I love the wording in King James of that verse. In thy presence is fullness of joy, at thy right hand pleasures forevermore. It's in the abiding. If you're rushing around, doing everything you can, spending all your time trying to make Christmas joyful, and you've neglected the time with Jesus, you will miss the joy that Jesus brings. My life is a good life. But every day, like you do, you have complications, relationships, problems, bills, everything that you have to do. But I find every day the time that I'm able to disconnect and to worship the Lord and to spend time in the Word and to spend time listening for Jesus, I leave that moment of abiding with great joy. And everything that I deal with in after that, I've got a reserve ready for the day that helps me to meet the challenges and the difficulties of that day. And I know that if you're here and you profess to be a follower of Christ and you don't abide in Him, you're going to get the same result as somebody that may be your neighbor that doesn't know Jesus because you're using the same philosophy of life. It is in that abiding. The Lord has done great things for us, and we are filled with joy. Psalms writes, the psalmist writes, the Lord has done great things. There are times where I just open my eyes in the morning, the sun is coming up, and I'm reminded that today God has given me a whole new boatload of mercy. I make mistakes. I goof. I, I, I hurt my wife at times. I say dumb things to my kids. I goof on the job. I do all these things. But this one thing I know, that every day I have a new mercy from the Lord in heaven. And it's so wide and amazing because of his love. If I just stopped right there, closed this book and said, let's go home. If you just get that abiding with him and the presence of God that fills you in that abiding and fills you through your day, you're going to meet all of the stuff that you face for Christmas with greater strength in the Lord. You've got to abide in Him. The second is obey Him. All right? I want to talk to you about this for just a second. When, for those of you that have been around, I was nearing 300 pounds, and the Lord had been convicting me for about two years. It was a God conviction, Okay? It wasn't, you know, I watched Dr. Oz and I got all jacked up and I'm going to do this or watch some exercise tape. I had bought a membership to the gym and it sat in my drawer for a year and I never went. And I'm cheap enough that that made me mad. <laughs> and I felt convicted because I stood before you on a Thanksgiving two years before I really got serious with God and said, we should be healthy people. And I said that because it was something that God was speaking to my heart. And it was true. So I never did it. And so I come into the Christmas season of that year, 
And the Lord just started reminding me that. Now, here's the point. Don't in any way look and say, oh, man, you lost weight. Great job. You ate healthy. Great job. You worked. It has nothing to do with me. Nothing. Here's what it has everything to do with. Simply obeying God. So what does that mean? Well, I know a lot of you want to do something in your life. Could be health. Could be finances. Could be a relationship. Whatever it is. And you're sitting here today thinking, it'll never change. I don't have the discipline. I don't have the will. I don't have the power to do that. I understand that. I've been there. I felt that. But something in my heart said, I've got to obey God on this. I've got to do that, and I can't do anything else. And so when I made that first step of obedience, God met me at that first step and gave me the strength for the second and the third. And before long, I had established a pattern of healthy living. But don't let it in there because you're going to miss the whole story. That year, God began to break through in so many areas of my life that started with one act of obedience in one area. I believe this obedience is a very important part of joy. I believe it. I've experienced it. I, I would take all my time to explain to you some of the things that have happened in my life as a result of that obedience. I hope you take my word. As a matter of fact, we're talking about as a teaching team, uh, starting in February, doing a series called Obey. We're going to deal with three components, body, mind, and spirit. We've got a lot of neat things going on there. As a matter of fact, if you're involved with health in any way, fitness, nutritionist, get a hold of me, okay? I want to talk to you about some ideas we're working on. But that one act of obedience for you, <coughs> as I was praying for this service, I thought of other areas that people might be disobedient in. Some people might be having a relationship that's not right. They might be involved in a relationship that's sinful. They might be doing things that they know in their heart do not honor or please God. And you've had a tough time walking away from that. If you will obey God, if you will take that first step and make that decision to walk in obedience to God, He'll meet you there. But beyond that, there are so many other things that God wants to do in your life. Scripture says this, If you obey my commands, you will remain in my love. Just as I have obeyed my Father's commands, and remain in his love. Now listen to this. I've told you this so that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be complete. I think we're around God enough <clears throat> that we get a little bit of Jesus' joy, but this idea of a complete joy comes from this fullness of God at work in our lives. And I think that's going to come from you being obedient. And the last one I want to cover is enduring him. This one's tricky because everything that I've been reading in the scriptures, especially the New Testament church, talks about a lot of people going through a lot of difficult things. Persecution, pain, difficulties. And every time I read in the Gospels or I read in the New Testament and I read in the Old Testament, these people have great joy. They are so excited about Jesus that there's a part of me that says, I don't get that. I mean, these guys are in prison, and what do they do? They just rack up the worship songs. And God does miraculous things and sets them free. They had great joy in the middle of that. And I have to confess to you today, if a few things go wrong in my life, what's the first thing that goes? My joy. So there's a principle here that I want to pass on, because I know that some of you are here today, <coughs> and you're going through some very difficult things. And so I want you to endure in him. Listen to this. Keeping our eyes on Jesus, the source 
and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that lay before him endured a cross and despised the shame and has sat down at the right hand of God's throne. In Hebrews later, he writes, you suffered along with those who were thrown into jail and when all you owned was taken from you, you accepted it with joy. You knew there were better things waiting for you that will last forever. Listen, we're so caught up in this world, in this world's ways of thinking that this is it. If it goes bad here, we can't look beyond. You know what I think was great about being a kid and Christmas? The idea of hope. You know what I'm saying? The idea of, oh boy, Christmas is coming, ripping into presents. That idea of that looking forward to that Christmas day. Would you all agree you had a lot of joy as a child waiting for that? Well, as followers of Jesus, our Christmas isn't really on this earth. The real gift of God is the eternity that we have with Him. And no matter what we go through, we've got to look beyond this stuff of this world to beyond at seeing what God has for us. I have to tell you, in my prayer sometimes, I feel very um, immature. Because in my uh, whininess at times, and I'm reminded of people who are suffering far greater things today than I am, and yet have such great joy. People today <clears throat> around this world who have nothing, who love Jesus, who are being persecuted, who love Jesus, who are going through every unimaginable thing on this earth, who love Jesus. And something little bad happens, and I'm like, oh God, where are you? What happened to you, Lord? I thought you loved me, blah, blah, blah. And then I'm reminded, it isn't about here. I have a dumb prayer, forgive me, but I have a dumb prayer. It's a legitimate prayer in my heart. I say, God, those people that are going through so many difficult things on this earth, just make heaven so much greater and amazing for them. They deserve it so much more. Now, we all will have a wonderful heaven, don't get me wrong. But these are the people that just have great reward in heaven for their life. So we have to endure in Him. We have to look beyond our troubles, okay? Now, are there troubles in your life that you, that you bring on yourself? Yeah. Anybody ever offend your wife or your husband? Don't raise your hand. <laughs> okay? Wives, if your husband is offended, you raise your hand. No, I'm kidding. We'll get a more honest answer that way. No. <clears throat> Have you ever made a dumb financial mistake? Have you ever done something that just you had to pay one way or another for it? And because of that pain, you went through a long ordeal. It happens. But the enduring looks beyond everything that comes to us, everything that we create at the hope of what we have. I don't know if this will get through to you, but I will tell you, in preparing this message, I have this new understanding of Christmas, that this great joy isn't about right now. It's joyful. It should be joy-filled because of Jesus, but it's really what's beyond this world is where the greatest joy is going to come. I want to finish with this. Uh, the kids sang it earlier, Joy to the World. And I love that song. How many love that Christmas carol, Joy to the World? It's a great one. Well, I was doing a little research on that, looking at the lyrics and all that. I found out that Joy to the World was written by a guy named Isaac Watts. And he wrote Joy to the World not as a Christmas song, but as a hymn. And uh, from what I could determine through all the study, the first part of the song has been lost over the years. But the last part that we sing as a carol had been carried on uh, through Christmas songs. But I want to read you <clears throat> real quick 
what he says, just, just not the whole stuff, but what he says. Joy to the world, the Lord has come. Let the earth receive her king. He begins the next stanza. Joy to the world, the Savior reigns. Next stanza. No more let sin and sorrows grow. <coughs> the last stanza. He rules the world with truth and grace. And then he talked about a response to those statements. So written as a hymn and not as a carol, I found out he wrote it based on Psalms 98. Let me read you 98, verses 1 through 4. Sing a new song to the Lord, for he has done wonderful deeds. His right hand has won a mighty victory. His holy arm has shown his saving power. The Lord has announced his victory and has revealed his righteousness to every nation. He has remembered his promise to love and be faithful to Israel. The ends of the earth have seen the victory of our God. Shout to the Lord, all the earth. Break out in praise and sing for joy. Somewhere along the way, this psalm writer, songwriter, Isaac Watts, read that and wrote Joy to the World. Now, I know we've got this nice Christmas carol we sing it as, but we're going to do something here in our response time. I'd like for all of our worship leaders to come at all of our campuses. And while they come, I want to tell you how we want to respond today. They're going to sing Joy to the World, but I don't want you to sing it as a Christmas song. I want you to sing it as a worship song. And I want you to take out all the stuff with Christmas and realize the song Joy to the World is about Jesus and to worship Him. And we're going to stand in a moment and we're going to do that. I don't want you to move and go to any of the stations. But then after that, after you've established for just a moment in your heart an act of worship for Jesus, I want to challenge you to respond in this way. You're here today. You're struggling. Your life is really difficult. You don't know where to turn. We provide people who pray. They're going to be at the back of the auditorium. Find them. They'll have a lanyard on that says prayer team. Ask them to pray for you. You might be going through a physical need. You might be going through an emotional, whatever it is, ask them to pray for you. The second area I want to remind you of is our crosses. At our crosses is a place of confession. If there's sinful things in your life, if you've been disobedient to God, would you take a moment to write on a card and pin it to that cross and to ask Jesus to just forgive you right there. His love is evident. If you're here today and you've just kind of had the blues, but you love Jesus, the best response I can tell you is this. Every one of us should stand in the communion line because communion is really about Christmas. It's about the finished work of Jesus. And we can celebrate him and honor him today in taking our communion. So I'm going to ask you to stand, sing with us Joy to the World as a worship song, and then respond to God in an appropriate way in your heart. <laughs>